Let's all stand together at this time as we look in the Word of God. We have been considering for the last several weeks the Christian vocation, uh, our job, our occupation, our task that God has appointed us and called us to. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at a message I call simply something old, something new. Something old, something new. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. May God bless the reading of His Word today as my prayer. You may be seated. Something old and something new. Now our vocation is spelled out for us very plainly in this passage. It's in verse 1. Therefore the pris- I, therefore the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The vocation then that God has called us to is to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It should be self-evident to us that the one Holy Spirit, and that's what he's going to go on and talk about in Ephesians 4 and 4 and on, is one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. I mean, he gives us uh, a a lot of things that are the basis of our unity. It should be self-evident that the one Holy Spirit then doesn't lead God's people in directly opposite ways uh, or to believe completely contradictory positions. Now, in defense of the Christian faith, it is often uh, offered that we agree on, just across the board, a whole lot more than we disagree on, and there's some truth in that. But while it is also true, uh, while it's true, it is also true that some of the things we differ on, and perhaps the most important thing, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, To put it simply, uh, we answer the question differently What must I do to be saved? And there's no more crucial question that can ever be asked. What must I do to be saved? I want to be quick to point out to you this morning that wherever we find other Christian people, if you're saved and you find somebody else that's genuinely saved, uh, then you found a brother or sister in Christ. Uh, we might not agree with them. They may go to a different church or have a different background or go to have different traditions or different ideas. But the Spirit has a way of bearing witness with our spirit. We have a way of recognizing God and other people. And uh, we've met a, a brother or sister in Christ. And uh, let's understand we're going to spend eternity in heaven together uh, with the Lord. And God's going to have a lot of work to do on all of us uh, that He's going to accomplish in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, when we are gloriously changed uh, forever. Uh, That's a great thing. But that different gospel issue is a big one. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul said, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from Him who called you in in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let it be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. 
That's the word anathema. Uh, no stronger word could be used. Uh, there's three things to notice about that serious warning. Number one, there are people, there were people, there still are people who are perverting the gospel or changing the gospel message. Second, there were Christian people who were turning away from the true gospel then to follow this false gospel. And then that sacred, spiritual, solemn curse is leveled twice against the person who distorts the gospel anathema. Right there in that simple passage, folks, is the basis for most of the division that exists among Christian people around the world and uh, the Christian religion, the Christian faith, and we just look at it in its broadest scope. And understand that right here in our own community, there's a lots of different churches, a lot of different names, a lot of different belief systems that are represented. You want to boil it down, what makes us all different? Mainly it's this, we don't agree on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's only one gospel. That gospel is very simply expressed. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There is only one gospel. There is one mediator between God and man and that is the man Christ Jesus. There is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you have, you're saved. If you haven't, you sure need to. You need to. There's only one gospel. Beyond that, though, there are many, many other things uh, in the culture, cultural things that, that, that come against us that threaten the unity of the faith. And uh, in the last century, it's been a, an avalanche of differences. Uh, uh, things about the spiritual gifts, the role of women in the church or in the ministry, the style of worship, the style of music, uh, the church's position on things like abortion and divorce and, and same-sex marriage. And the list just goes on and on and on of the cultural trends that are making their way into the church and that threaten then our unity. And the only reason why these cultural battlefields can make it into any church anywhere is because people, that's you folks, Christian people, are subject to the influence of the culture around you. It, it comes from your peers. It comes from your music. It comes from the entertainment you watch, whether movies are on television comes across your computer, your social media, your friends at school, your college peers, the people you work with, the professors, the talking heads, for lack of a better term, the announcers, the so-called newscasters around. They are all pressuring you on these cultural hot topic items. The pressure is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. It's going to intensify. They are squeezing you. And that's why the Bible warns us as God people, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. It has a mold. This is how we want you to think. This is how we want you to believe. This is what you need to believe about what's right and what's wrong. And it's trying to force you to believe the way they believe. That then threatens the unity of the faith because those cultural differences can come in then and become a very divisive issue in churches, and it's happening all over America today. 
It is directly to this issue then that our text this morning speaks, that cultural pressure that we all face. In verse 17, he said, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Remember when Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, he was not writing to a group of people who had grown up in church, grown up in a Christian family, lived all of their life reading the Bible, and therefore had a serious lifelong background in Christian thinking. He was talking to a lot of people who were raised in paganism and, and, and of all kinds. And so when he talks to them about not walking the way the rest of the Gentiles walk, he was calling them then to live a different life than they had lived before. They were not to go back to their old lifestyle. He gives a very detailed view of the world, the world that was around them, the world that does not know Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the world hadn't changed a whole lot. When we talk about the world out there, the world that doesn't know Jesus Christ, the description that Paul gave here in Ephesians chapter 4 fits as well today as it did back then. He doesn't pull any punches. He's very straightforward. Right up front then, he mentions the futility of their mind. The word futility is a word that's also translated vanity. It means devoid of truth and appropriateness. Devoid of truth and appropriateness. Uh, perverseness or depravity in the futility of their mind. Devoid of truth. Devoid of any concept of what is appropriate and what is not. Think about that the next time you start listening to some great argument about our faith from some person who doesn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says right up front that their mind is full of futility. Futility. He uses several phrases then to describe that uh, mind that is devoid of truth and appropriateness. First of all, he says they have darkened their understanding. And both of these descriptions, by the way, are passive. These are things that the unbeliever does to himself. Uh, their, their mind is one of futility. Uh, they have no truth because they don't know Jesus Christ. Who is the truth? You understand? Uh, and they are then devoid of any sense or concept of what is appropriate, what is right, and what is wrong because they have no standard of truth. They have darkened their understanding. It speaks of the act of covering something in darkness. If you could think of somebody shining a flashlight in your eyes, what do we do? We immediately are going to try to cover it up. We don't want to see it. And when we cover something in darkness, that is exactly what it is. And what the, this person is doing is something they're doing to themselves. They've covered themselves in darkness uh, because they do not want to see the light. Further, they have alienated themselves by doing this from the life of God because light and life are both in Jesus Christ. They don't want the light. Therefore, they don't get the life. That is available only through Jesus Christ. Their understanding is darkened. They are alienated from the life that comes through Jesus Christ. Their mind then is not uh, full of truth. It is devoid of truth. 
is devoid of any sense of what is appropriate, what is right or wrong. That's a very, very serious description. It becomes my duty as a minister of the gospel to remind you, ma'am, remind you, sir, that if you don't know Jesus Christ today, that is true of you right now. It doesn't have to stay true. <laughs> we can change that pretty quickly. If we're just simply delivering to you the truth of Jesus Christ and compelling you to believe on Him, receive Him. Power of the Holy Spirit is at work. It overcomes. He moves then not only to the futility of their mind, to the lewdness of their lifestyle. That's the next thing he says, having their understanding, verse 18, darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, there it is, to work all uncleanness with greediness. He mentions, again, several things to describe the lewdness of their lifestyle. He says, first of all, it's based on their ignorance. Our word agnostic is the word he uses in that passage. They, they don't know. It simply means not knowing. What do they not know? Number one, they don't know Jesus Christ. They don't know God's truth. They, they have no foundation uh, in anything even remotely biblical. They don't know. And because of the ignorance then that is in them is a couple of things. There is the blindness then of the heart. He uses the word for blindness, very interesting. If it was in our eye, it would be the formation of a cataract. And you know that a cataract gets bad and then it gets worse and worse. And around the world where they are not treated, it can actually literally cause blindness. It gets to where they cannot see at all. It's like a callus that forms on the eye. It's the same word. If, if it was on your hands or fingers, it would be a callus. On your eye, it's a cataract. What's happened? Uh, there, there's a hardness that is formed. But Paul says it's a blindness of the heart. Their hearts are hardened. And because of that then, they are past feeling. This doesn't mean that they're incapable of having feeling of, or emotions. It means they are past any feeling of guilt or remorse, ignorant of God's truth. Their hearts are blind or calloused then to God's truth, and they have no feelings of any remorse over what they're doing or how they're living. Not there. As a result, he says, they have given themselves then over to a lifestyle of lewdness. And the word simply means unbridled or uncontrolled lust. Lewdness, unbridled, uncontrolled lust. When desire or lust is unleashed, it becomes a person's God. It tells them what to do, how to live, what's right, what's wrong. All controlled by lust. What they want to do, what they want to do. Who is the they? Remember, the they is the world without. This is how the Gentiles walk. This is Paul said how you used to walk. But you don't walk this way anymore. You're not like this anymore. The lewd lifestyle then has them working all uncleanness with greediness. When you think about a lifestyle of lewdness, uh, this is a lifestyle that uh, began about the time that I discovered America, uh, back in the late 1950s. Uh, it was introduced by a fellow named Hugh Hefner. 
and those who followed him in what was called the playboy mentality through the efforts of the so-called Rat Pack from Hollywood. And, and uh, I mean, the influence went all the way to the White House. You guys remember. Uh, some of you do. Uh, some of you need to Google it, but uh, it, don't Google it too much. Uh, be, <laughs> be careful. Be careful. Uh, but the people uh, across America were immersed and to this, all, this new lifestyle, new way of living, and anything goes, playboy type lifestyle. The effectiveness of this in the minds and hearts and souls of America is shown perhaps by the fact that Hugh Hefner died a hero. It says something about America. Uh, but America has moved far, far beyond that meager beginning. And to the point that now we look back at those 50s and 60s days, and, and oh man, that, that was nothing. Oh no, it was something. But we've moved much, much further into this lifestyle of lewdness. I want to be quick to point out to you this morning, Paul did not bring this up in order to belittle or run down or be mean to the people who were living this way. And I don't bring it up that way to, uh, for that reason today. Uh, he brought it up to these people as, as Christian people, as born-again, <laughs> blood-bought children of God. This is how you used to live, but no more. This is how you were. But you don't want to continue living this lewd lifestyle. The reason why he tells them not to is because it's possible to. <laughs> it's possible to do it. That's why he said in verse 20, You have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus didn't shed His blood on the cross in order to leave us in that kind of life. When we were saved, we embraced the truth of Jesus Christ so that we're no longer walking in mental futility with our minds blinded and our hearts hardened. We're no longer past feeling to live a, a lewd lifestyle with greediness and without remorse. We have learned Christ. As a believer then, we see how that we are left then to deal with something old and something new. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. There's something old. Now, right up front, we'll begin to think about that classic passage of Scripture that tells us that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And yet the same Bible, in fact, the same writer and the same Holy Spirit also inspires this passage of Scripture that tells us that we've got an old man to contend with. I think most of us could admit and acknowledge this morning that even if we couldn't read that in Scripture, we can see that in the mirror. We know it. We have to contend with the old man. He's there. One of the great questions of the Christian faith is, why didn't God take all those things away from us when He saved us? We ask God, and others ask God, over and over and over again, to take all of those remnants of the old life away from us. Bad habits, addictions, 
feelings that we know are wrong, desires for things that we know that are wrong, words that shouldn't be in our vocabulary, attitudes that pull us away from God and from all things godly. Lord, please take this away. Notice that Paul tells us the old man grows corrupt. The old man grows, <laughs> grows, did you get that? Grows corrupt. What's that mean? Well, the word corrupt means to rot or decay or to spoil. Now, have you ever gone into your refrigerator? Maybe you're making yourself a bowl of cereal, let's say, and you went to the refrigerator, got out a bottle of milk, had everything ready. Man, you got your sugar on there because you all no, no cereal is made with enough sugar on it. I don't know if y'all have noticed that or not. You got to put more, <laughs> put a little, couple of teaspoons, maybe three, uh, uh, just a little more. Uh, <laughs> got that all ready. Go to the refrigerator, get the milk. Pour it out there. Get you a stir it up. Get you a big old bite. Oh, oh, the milk's bad. <laughs> this stuff, can't you just taste it? Right down. My first encounter with that was uh, that I can remember was at school. Man, it was nothing like bad chocolate milk. Ah, <laughs> I can still taste it. So when you, when you get that milk out and you pour it out over your, and, and, and you realize it's bad, what do you do? Well, of course, of course, you put the lid back on it and put it back in the refrigerator. Because what it needs is more time. It's going to get better, won't it? It'll get better, I promise you. Just put it back in the fridge. It'll sit there for another few days, and it's going to be buttermilk, only worse. For some reason, my boys seem to partake, take particular delight in doing that very thing, not because they thought it would be better, uh, but because one of their brothers or me would come along and get some of it. And they'd just laugh. I knew it was bad. <laughs> when milk's gone bad, what do you do with it? You throw it away, pour it out, put the bottle away. It's done. Meat's gone bad. <sighs> ah. Get rid of it. No amount of time is going to make it any better. When the Bible says that the old man is corrupt, that means it is spoiled. And all the old man is going to do is get worse and worse. Unfortunately, the old man never goes away. The deceitful desires, it pushes on us. And that's exactly what he says, the deceitful lust. The old man grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. What is deceitful about it? Uh, it is constantly the idea, uh, listen, the things that we crave, the things that we lust, or the things that give us pleasure or some sense of satisfaction or make us feel good or feel better. And there's a promise in that these things are going to make us better somehow. They're going to make us feel better. They're going to give us, even if it's only temporary, a quick fix or a quick feeling of euphoria. And the idea is somehow that this is going to be enough just once. Just once. Everybody who ever tried to quit smoking knows what it's like to drink, to say, I'm just going to have one cigarette. Just give me one puff. And it's a deceitful desire because it's always that that's going to be enough. It's never enough. 
It's never enough. You can't put enough sin to the old man to where he'll say, I'm full, I'm done. The more you give him, uh, the more he wants and the more he takes. We sing about it. God, you say I'm free. How can it be? I've tried to win this war, I confess. My hands are weary. I need your rest. When you don't move the mountain, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. We, we sing about it. How many times have I cried, God, please take this. I want you to know this morning that the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Faith is the victory. Faith is what allows us to believe that I am in Christ and therefore I am a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Though I am still struggling with the old man, I know there's a part of me where that is exactly true and that is the spiritual side of me. And I know that uh, that, that side of me is, is living in victory. And that side of me is the one that is going to win. And so our faith is continually in a battle. It, it is continually overcoming in a continual battle. We, we keep believing. There is something old. And that is the old man. But also there's something new. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Isn't it interesting that the Bible starts with the mind? The mind. Be renewed in the spirit of our mind. What we need is a new mind. <laughs> and the good news is that the word renew means exactly that. It means to make new, or you're like this, to make young again, to make new, to make something new again. And what is it that is going to be made new again? What is it that's going to be made young again? Our mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's something more powerful than your old attitude. There's something more powerful than your old memories, than your old mindset, than your old beliefs, than your old conversations, than your old vocabulary, than your old desires, than your old habits, than your old learned behavior. There is something more powerful than the old man and the old mind. And that's something that is more powerful is the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we are created in Him unto good works. It is the power of the mighty Spirit of God living in us. Paul gives us the definitive explanation of this renewal in, in the book of Romans. And I'm going to read these passages to you uh, this morning. I'm not going to preach on them. I could preach for six weeks on them or longer. I'm just going to read them. Might have a little comment. It's a long reading, so hang with me. You can follow along. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, 
But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. Be in the Spirit is to have the Spirit of God living in you. It is to have Christ in you. And Christ is in you if you are a believer in Christ. If the Spirit of God is not in you, you're not saved. It's just that simple. And if the Spirit of God lives in you, then you're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. That is, the flesh is not ruling over you. You have a greater power, a greater influence, and that is the mighty Holy Spirit of God that lives in you and lives in me. Spirit of God. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit uh, that lives in you. Therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Ava, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. When we're saved, we're born from above. And we are born of the Spirit. In our dealings with the old man, what Paul called this body of death in Romans chapter 7, read that in your own time. It is again the Spirit of God who makes this new life operational. There is a different dynamic at work in us as believers in Christ than just the lust of the flesh. Lust isn't our God anymore. God is our God. We don't just do what we want to do because the Spirit of God is leading us and directing us and guiding us into all truth. That is His job. He guides us into more than we could ever imagine could be ours because the Spirit of God works in us. We keep reading on in Romans and we come to this. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, Romans 12, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Folks, we don't owe the old man anything. One of the great matters in the Christian life is the decision to stop pampering the old man. He's spoiled. It's gone bad. It always was bad. All it's ever going to do is get worse. That's why the older we get, the battles get tougher. It will never be any better. And the Bible tells us very simply what to do. Put him away. Throw him away. We do that by putting on the new man. There's the something new. The new man in the power of the Spirit of God puts down, puts off. 
takes off the old man. This new man is created by God in righteousness and true holiness. I wish this morning I could tell you that this is a once-for-all decision. You could go to a revival meeting, go to the altar, and get on your knees and pray and confess. And when you got up, it's all going to be over. That old man would be there laying on the altar, and you'd walk out of here with just the new man, and that's it. The battle's done. I've made that decision. I'm through. I'm clean. It's all over. I'm in the victory now. I wish I could tell you that. I can't tell you that. If you've ever had to quit a bad habit, you know what it's like. At first, it's really difficult. But in time, it grows easier and easier. In time, it becomes maybe only a passing desire. In time, it may grow into something repulsive. I'm sorry to have to say today that there was a time when I thought a Marlboro light was one of the greatest gifts the world had to give. I hate that disgusting habit. I hate that I ever did it, but I did. Did you quit? I sure did. Long, long time ago. Um, <laughs> the first time I, 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 I quit smoking, I did that by, by starting dipping. Boy, wasn't that a dumb decision? <laughs> Some of you laugh because you've done the same thing. I didn't just exchange one bad habit for another. I'd exchange it for a worse habit that was harder to quit. Had to quit that one. Did that too. I'm not bragging on it this morning. I'm just telling you, thank God. There was a time when I'd smell that and, man, I thought, oh, that'd be so good. After a while, though, that was gone. Now when I'm around somebody smoking, I, I just, I'm repulsed by it. it. It just, I can't stand it. I have to get away from it most of the time. It's just very hard to be around it. What was once something that I loved and craved, after a while the craving diminished and actually became something that I found repulsive, uh, that's the way quitting habits generally go. Occasionally I hear people talk about getting saved and I've heard people give testimonies of being a heroin addict and they were saved and, and God just took that away from them. Never had withdrawals or anything. I can't explain all that. I've just heard those testimonies and, and I'd have to say that was their testimony and if they're telling the truth then it, it happened. It does happen but that's not the normal experience that I've seen. Most people it doesn't go away that way. You have to fight your way through it. I can't tell you this morning that God offers you a decision you can make as a child of God and it will be done with the old man. I, it's not been my experience. I've preached the revivals. I've gone all over and still, still the old man hangs around with all his bad attitudes and his, his bad desires and his cravings. And... But again, we still sing about it. Big Daddy Weave says we need to stop fighting a battle that's already won. He talks to us about, uh, Zach Williams talks about how Jesus is the chain breaker. And in our rescue story, he'll fight all our battles for us. Lauren Daigle, Daigle, Daigle. Lauren says, you plead my cause, you right my wrongs, you break my chains, you overcome. 
And I'm glad I can tell you that if those songwriters and many, many more like them are talking about our salvation, then I can say a loud and hearty amen. Because our salvation, brothers and sisters in Christ, is 100% through Jesus Christ. It is 100% what Jesus Christ does for us. Our redemption is all on Him. And if you've bought into the mistaken idea that somehow you have to help Jesus Christ save you, then it's very possible that you've never been saved at all. Because the real gospel is that Jesus does all the saving. We trust Him. And while that is true, it is also true that God says, put off the old man who grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Put off the old man and put on the new man. Same Bible, same God. And so if, if we're thinking that somehow God is going to take all the struggle away from us, that's probably not going to happen. We might be crying out to God saying, God, why don't you take this away? And his answer would be according to this passage, because I told you to put it away. I told you put it away and you don't have to do it on your own <laughs> because the spirit of God gives life to your mortal bodies he quickens you you have a strength that is incredibly available to you that you're not utilizing I once read a story it might have been a fable about a man who sent his son out to dig up a huge rock and then move it uh, out of the yard told him go dig it up move it as he dug the rock, and you know how a rock is, and you know, it was just sitting up about this much in the top, but as he began to dig it, he got digger, deeper and deeper, and the rock got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it just kept digging, and the rock gets bigger. And by the time he gets it all uncovered, man, he doesn't know what to do. He tries everything he can do, and the rock just is still there. And finally, the story goes, the story went, the dad asked him, son, did you move that rock? And he said, no, I tried everything. And I couldn't move it. And he said, no, son, you didn't try everything. You didn't ask me for help. The Spirit of God lives in us. And when we need help, He knows it. I need to put off this old man. I need to put off this bad attitude. I need to put off this bad habit. I need to put away this tough thing. I can't do it on my own. Holy Spirit, I need your help. This is what he's called us to. So that our struggle with the world is a very real struggle. Because there's always that possibility that though we're saved, we could go back and 
start propping up the old man again. We can do it. If we think he's going to be any better or the outcome's going to be any different, it's not. He's as bad as he ever was and he's getting worse. Or she, if you'd prefer to think of it that way. The old woman is as bad as she ever was and she's getting worse. Never going to get any better. Put it away. Put on. Amen. I want to close out with this quotation from Jude. I got good news for you today. <laughs> this all, and it may not seem like it coming from all this passage and the, the tough stuff that we have to go through, but uh, uh, let's understand how, how, the, how the story ends here. Jude 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Oh, that's good news. Old man's not going to win and uh, we're going to end up lost again and go to hell. No, uh Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, that's God, and to present you faultless, faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I tell you what, I use faultless spray starch and I still end up with wrinkles. How about you? This ain't going to work. I like that. Uh, no wrinkles. Faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. That's good news. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. Our salvation is going to work. <laughs> and in the time when it matters the most, when we stand before God, you're going to stand before Him. Fault. No one here will be full of joy. Oh, my. You washed away all my sin. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. But God doesn't intend for us to live our life under the power of the old man. He saved us to get us away from that mess. Let's live out what Jesus Christ saved us to live out. Let's stand together, please.